0: Well, good morning, Trinity Church. It's good to be here with you all. My name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors here, and just a real uh, privilege to be here worshiping the Lord together. Um, last week, uh, I was outside on the plaza, and some of you may not know, but our live stream had gone down because our internet wasn't working, and I kept running into people, and, and I was like, I haven't seen you for a while. How are you doing? Well, the internet broke down, and... So I'm here for the second second hour, and it reminded me of two things. Number one, how much I appreciate our tech director, Justin Pugh, and his team that help us from the back of the room. Always problem solving every Sunday, and um, they provide that for us. And second, for those of you who live stream, just realizing I miss you. And I realize that we, we miss you, and, and that there are many reasons why you're not able to join us, maybe your life circumstances. So uh, just know that we love you, and we're glad that you can be a part of what God is doing as we uh, worship the Lord together on Sundays. I was live streaming two weeks ago, uh, driving to Colorado. I was very appreciative that we didn't have to miss out, and... Um, We were in the Psalms together. Daniel Kim was our uh, speaker, and he took us to to a lament song, and he was teaching us how to lament. That's not something we do very often in our worship services. We were in Psalm 3, and so on the way back on Friday was when I got a phone call asking if I'd be willing to teach on Sunday, this Sunday, and so in my heart, I was like, I want to do a psalm. And I want to spend some time in Psalm 27 together. And so I encourage you, if you have your Bible with you, take, take your Bible out, turn to Psalm 27. Uh, we've been in Psalm 33 this morning. We've been in Psalm, uh, where else were we? Ben started us off in Psalm 34. So I think the Lord wants us in the Psalms together, at least today. So let's spend some time and listen to what he has to say to us. I think the Psalms teach us how to have an authentic relationship with God. How to live a life connected with God on a heart and a mind level. In a way, how to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what we learn in the Psalms. And Psalm 27 is a Psalm of David. And we get to see what was most central to him. And so uh, I'm going I'm to ask you to read the first three verses out loud with me. They'll be on the screens also. This is a Psalm of David, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Wow, what David is describing here is this amazing confidence and courage in the face of great trials and tribulations. And for him, as a king, it was armies and war. And for us, I mean, we just lived through a week like that where the people in Texas experienced horrific, horrific suffering, and somehow as we were watching and reading the news, we, we felt it with them. And as, I've, as we've come through this conflict between Ukraine and Russia early on, I was privileged to kind of be a part of this email chain where someone was sending me emails that were from pastors in Ukraine. And I was humbled as I'm, I'm listening to these daily reports as they're surrounded by, by destruction and, and um, you know, the, the bomb alerts and all that. And they're sitting there in their basements caring for their people. And they're going out, and as, as things progress, they're going out. They see the needs in their community, and they're, they're risking, in the face of this, they're risking to go out and to bring food and, and, and other supplies to the people who were out there and needed those things. I was humbled. And every one of those up, up, uh, emails, they were quoting the Psalms. Can you imagine this Psalm that talks about being in a city that's besieged, being... Being there in that very situation, saying, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. I'm gonna do what it takes, I'm gonna trust him. I was humbled by that, and I've been humbled by you. I've watched you go through your day of trouble. That's how the psalmist David's gonna describe the trouble he's in. He's gonna call it the day of trouble. We pray for you as a staff. So we, we see what you're going through. Many hardships, people who right out here who are walking through, struggling through, battling against cancer. Maybe you're with your loved one. Loved ones who are caring for their uh, maybe their spouse or maybe their parents who are dying from a terminal disease or who are aging and suffering with Alzheimer's. We've walked with those of you who've been out of work. You're struggling to make ends meet. We pray with you who are weeping over your adult kids who've lost their way. You have your day of trouble, and I have my day of trouble. In Psalm 27, if I could only have that confidence and courage that David has. And the answer is, that's why it's there for us. Because we can, and it all depends on who is the Lord. Who is he to you? Who is he to me? To David, he begins and says, the Lord is my light. In the darkness, there's hope. The Lord is my salvation. When all is lost, I'm counting on being rescued. And then this is the one I really want to focus in on today the Lord is the stronghold of my life. That word for stronghold is translated refuge elsewhere. I like the word stronghold. It has a visual image of, of being, just because of the English word being held by God. But the word refuge in the psalm, some, some scholars would say that is the primary theme in the psalms is teaching us how to make the lord our refuge because over half of them as daniel kim taught are laments how do we make the lord the stronghold of our life and that's exactly what david is going to teach us how to do as we walk with him through psalm 27. let's pray together heavenly father i thank you for your word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. God, we know that the day of trouble is for some of us a year of trouble. Maybe it feels like a life of trouble. And I'm sure there are even some right here where the darkness is just kinda closing in and it feels hopeless. And you are here to speak to us. In whatever our needs are, maybe you're preparing us for the day of trouble. So God, would you speak clearly through your word right to our hearts today? In Jesus' name, amen. So the first way that we can make the Lord the stronghold of our lives, David shows us, is to seek him above all else. Seek the Lord above all else. We have so many places that we might turn in the day of trouble. But David's heart didn't fear because he wanted one thing, he says, more than anything else. And that's the only thing he said I'm going to go after. And that's what we get to see in verse 4. So take a look at it. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. The phrase, one thing, is an attention grabber, right? It's like David saying, this is where it's at. This is the priority of my life, Everything else is less important than this one thing. And he says, I'm going to ask God for it, and I'm going to seek it. So do you, you see the, the, the asking and the seeking posture. This is an active posture of faith in the midst of his day of trouble. And here's what it is. David wanted to be with God in that moment more than anything else. Now, David could have asked to be rescued, and he does in many, many psalms, so that's not a bad request. It's not a wrong thing to say, God, save me out of this trouble. But in this psalm, David's going after something that's more foundational in his life than being rescued. It's, I want to be with God. I need to be with God in the midst of this trouble. So for David, meeting with God first involves seeing God, right? Gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. I love that phrase. It reminds me of a song when I was a junior higher and my heart was becoming a worshiper. It was, oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. Little did I know God was forming in my heart as a junior higher, this heart of worship teaching me to seek the Lord like Keith Green did, like David did. I love to hike in the Sierras, and I haven't done it for a while. I had a trip planned in 2020, and you know how that went. But um, I was up there in 2016 with my beautiful bride, and uh, we got to just spend some days. And when you're driving Highway 395, there's this awe that comes upon you as you're going north and all of a sudden, the Sierras just rise, and it's like, oh, where were they? You know, all of a sudden, boom, 14,000 foot peaks, rugged. There's a, there's a picture of it for you. I didn't take this picture, but there they are. I mean, look at that, just these magnificent peaks rising steeply out of the valley. And there is beauty in that on that drive. But I realized many years ago, this, this kind of came to me as, I'm driving along 70 miles per hour. Eventually, I'm through them, and I'm going on. And and I'm impressed by the beauty, but the first time I turned left off of Highway 395, and I went up to a parking lot as far as I could drive, and then I strapped a backpack on, and I hiked up into the back country, I was rewarded with a beauty I never would have seen. If I hadn't taken the work to go deeper. This is a picture from 19 uh, or uh, 2016. This beauty of meadows and green grass and forests and, and lakes and streams and wildflowers and animals. You don't see that from Highway 395. I think this is what David wanted with God. He didn't want a drive-by relationship with God. He wanted to dwell with God. He wanted to go into the back country. I wonder, what is worship to you? Are you settled and satisfied just with a drive-by view of God? Is that where your faith's at? Or do you want, are you hungering and thirsting To see more of God, to know him better, to experience what it looks like to trust him and to walk with him. That's what this psalm is going after. That's what David wanted. So here's uh, another photo of Julie crossing a stream. Did you show that? Just to prove she was up there with me. (laughs) And uh, we had such a great time. You know, there's a difference between driving by and dwelling. And what we ought to want and what God can do in our hearts if we just ask Him is to give us this desire to see His beauty. And oftentimes I wonder, maybe that's the reason the Lord allows us to go through our day of trouble. He wants us to see how beautiful He is, like that psalm that we just read. He's near to the brokenhearted. And maybe those days of trouble are a time to draw near to him. He's calling us, draw near to me, rely on me. Learn to to see how beautiful I am. Learn to trust me. Maybe God wants us, the line that we sang in that song is one of my, that in it is, um, Oceans is one of my favorite lines to sing in worship. I am yours and you are mine. That is a profound statement of worship. I am yours, and you are mine. Maybe God wants us to experience more deeply what it means for us to be his, to know how precious we are to him. Maybe he wants us to learn to love him more for who he is than for what he can do for us. So the day of trouble comes and we can make the Lord the stronghold of our lives by seeking Him above all else. But here's the problem, there are many things that compete for that one thing, aren't there? And some of us have tendencies either way, but sometimes we might shut down, kind of close up. Maybe we're embarrassed of those things we're going through. And we kind of internalize. Or maybe we we're like, I'm just going to push through this by brute strength. I'm going to get through this time. And the challenge with that is instead of turning to God, we hide our struggles and we can be consumed with our own thoughts. And I think that's where anxiety is born. And depression can, it comes from those kind of things. It's the source. And God is teaching us to turn to him. You know, David struggled with those things. He did struggle with anxiety. He did struggle with depression. If you read the Psalms, you see that. But here, he turns his gaze upward to God. And look at the result. In verse 5, it says, For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. This is who God becomes to us when he's the stronghold of our life. But do you notice who's doing all the action right here in this verse? David's seeking. It's the Lord, right? The Lord is keeping him safe. The Lord is hiding him in the shelter of his sacred tent. The Lord is setting him high upon a rock. Now, one thing I forgot to mention is why the house of the Lord, the sacred tent, he's going to talk about the temple. Is is David just wanting to get back to that tent of meeting? I I think there is a reality there that that was where David felt closest to God was when he was worshiping him in the sanctuary. Interesting word, by the way right? Sanctuary has similar meanings in our English language to refuge, to stronghold. So yes, I think David is, but I think he realizes, I want that experience right where I am. And so you see in this verse, this is his trust. This is him saying, okay, God's going to do this for me. He's going to keep me safe. He's going to hide me. He's going to set me high upon a rock. I'm going to be lifted by God above my troubles. I'm not going to be overwhelmed by them. I'm going to live above them. Instead of hiding, when we make the Lord the stronghold of our lives, we are hidden by God. We are safe with God. We are strong and secure in His presence when we seek the Lord above all else. Again, like the song we just sang, God is with us and we are with him if he's the stronghold of our lives. Now, before we move on, I want to think specifically about this one thing. And I wanna, I, I've want to. i been thinking a lot, and I know those of you who are parents of younger kids or maybe you're Sunday school teachers here at Trinity or small group leaders... What is going to give, and this is to the youth in this room, those of you who are in school, maybe you're in college, what's going to give you a faith that endures to the end? I think it's this one thing. And this is important for those of us who are parents. As much as we need to teach our kids to have a biblical worldview, to have biblical values, to obey the commands of the Lord. That is incredibly important. This is more foundational. To seek the Lord, to see the beauty of who God is, is what's going to give us and give our kids a faith that endures all the trials and the hard days of life. We God has to be beautiful to us, and he has to be growing more and more beautiful to us. And so that's what's on my heart. And I think it can be wrapped up in one word, a three-letter word, awe. We have to have be in awe of who God is. He must be awesome to us. And I was thinking about, well, how did God grow? How did he become, how did I become in awe of God? I just want to share from my own life. And I, I think... Um, I, I, can, I can look through, throughout my life to where I began to be in awe of who God was. But one of the things that stands out to me most was a book that I read in college called Intimate Moments with the Savior. And I remember I was maybe 19, 20 years old, and this book by Ken Geyer went through just stories of encounters Jesus had with people. And he helped me see how beautiful our Savior is, in the way he had compassion. We heard about that last week, the way he loved people, the way he ministered to people. I was in awe. I remember reading John. We just came through John. Reading a gospel is a great way to feed that awe, right, in our life of who Jesus is. I remember being in awe of the I am statements. Wow, Jesus is all those things, the light of the world, the bread of life the vine, the resurrection and the life. So here's the words of a friend that I've just had a conversation with over the last few weeks. He said this, and I'm thinking of parents now and teachers and small group leaders, you can't give what you don't have. And so how do we as parents grow in our awe of God? How does he become beautiful to us so that like a, like a backpacker, I want to take people up and see the beauty that I saw, right? How do we take people then? How do we grow in awe? How do we see the beauty and then take people there? And I just want to share from my own life things I'm learning. In the day of trouble, number one, I need to have reserves to draw upon right so so i need to have a faith and rhythms in my life that are feeding awe so that when i hit the hard times the big questions even the dark sense of is god even here or is he real i have a faith to draw upon but then here's the second thing is i lean into god in the day of trouble If I have rhythms, I'm going to amp those rhythms up. And I lean into God both alone, time alone with God, but especially in community. This is not a time to isolate yourselves, folks. When you're in a day of trouble, you've got to lean into the body, lean into the church, lean into your home group, lean into prayer. And so here are a couple of rhythms that I've tried to make in my life. This is going back to college. I have not lived a perfect life of quiet time with the Lord ever, <laughs> okay? As much as I have high aspirations, life is hard and you have different rhythms of life. And sometimes you can get a five-minute quiet time and you get an interruption, and especially when you're a younger parent. So one of my college instructors said, focus on one day a week set aside an appointment with god one day a week to go deeper to spend time in his word or in a book and that has been gold in my life when i when my daily life is a little harassed and troubled (laughs) but here are some rhythms in my life number one i need a place a special place where i spend time with god in the summer it's outside on my front porch with a cup of coffee that rhythm of cup of coffee for me is something I look forward to with the Lord. I need a plan. I need to know what am I doing right now? Am I in the book of John? Am I reading through Ephesians? Am I reading through the Bible? Am I spending do I have a devotional? Have a plan. Second or third, I have a tool. And I'm always searching for a tool that helps me to memorize Scripture and pray. And for me, five years ago, I found this little app called Prayer Mate, and it was gold for me. Maybe not for everybody, but it was a great way to keep prayer requests for myself, for my family, for all of you. And I put verses in there, so every day I'm memorizing Scripture. I'm reading over those verses that I feel I need to hear it from the Lord. The last thing is I saturate my life with worship music. You would expect that from a former worship pastor, wouldn't you? I love the worship of God's people. Right now, Maverick City, old church basement, it's teaching me how to trust the Lord, how to wait on him, how for him to be my shepherd. There are great songs on that album. But here's as important as those rhythms of my life, just one-on-one with God are, I think the rhythms in community are equally important. And when I'm falling apart, they're more important. I need those people that are gonna just grab me and hold me up. And so the rhythm of what we're doing right now is super important. That's what David was longing for, He had seen the glory of God in his temple, in the worship of his people, and that's what he was longing for, is the presence of God. God promised, my presence will be in the temple. And for us, his promise is, his presence is in us. He's He's with us when we're praising him, when we're coming to listen to what he has to say to us, when we're hearing testimonies of his faithfulness, This is very important. I was thinking this week, and this is just a cool fact, all right? I think that I have spent over a 1,000 worship services in this room with you guys, 1,000. I've been attending here for 26 years. I can't even measure the awe in my life that, that has produced by just being faithful to this one rhythm of showing up to worship with God's people when I feel like it and when I don't. And as a pastor, I don't quite get the same freedom you have. <laughs> <laughs> I have to show up. What an amazing privilege, but small group. I remember in 2014 when we began going through a really hard time as a church. I sensed I got I, I wasn't in a small group, and my wife and I were like, "We need to be in a small group. Hard times are coming, and we're still in that group. Praise the Lord for that group." So I'm in, in Bible studies. If I have mentors that I normally meet with in the day of trouble, I'm gonna I'm gonna amp that up. I need to meet with them more. I need to be sharing what's on my heart, what my struggles are. I need to know their wisdom, and that they're praying for me. And then here's the other thing, you guys, is I like to meet with young people. You think, they may think I'm trying to mentor them, but I need them in my life. You guys who are younger, you have a fervor, a spiritual fervor and a hunger and thirst for God that we need to never lose as adults, no matter how old we get. I need older people that are still pursuing God like that, but I need you too. And so I want to encourage you, meet with people who are older in the faith and younger in the faith. One of our young adults um, revealed to me, uh, was just sharing this observation about the difference between friends who are Christians and Christian friendship. I was like, whoa, that is like super insightful. Friends who are Christians can just hang out and it's a good time. But Christian friendship is gonna encourage me in that one thing. They're helping me to seek the Lord. Folks, that's what we need to excel at at Trinity Church is Christian friendship. Where we're encouraging one another, we're asking, how are you doing with the Lord? Where are you at? What are you struggling with? And so um, we need that. Let's spur one another on to love and good deeds. One last thought on this point. John 15, when Jesus says, abide in me, I think he's going after this one thing. He's saying, you got to stay close to me. This is where fruit in your life is going to come from. Abide in me and then you'll bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. But if you abide in me and my word abides in you, he says, ask anything in my name and I'll do it for you. Because by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I think the secret for us of of this type of relationship is abiding in the Lord. And we do that by his spirit, the helper whom he gave to us, who he said would be not only with you, but in you. We don't have to go to the temple to worship. God is with us. He is the stronghold of our lives. All right, back to the psalm. What happens when we seek the Lord above all else? Look at verse six. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies that surround me. And at his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. So David is picturing this day when he's going to be on the other side, back in the temple, right? And he says, Lord, you lift my head above these circumstances, above this thing that's causing this trouble in my life. Praise is the result of seeking the Lord above all else. When the Lord is beautiful to you, you're going to praise him. You're going to praise him. But have you ever had this nagging sense that maybe the Lord won't accept me? Or maybe the Lord is rejecting me? David has this fear. And the psalm that begins as this amazing proclamation of trust and courage and confidence takes this, it changes from a proclamation to a crying out to God raw prayer from his heart. And so the second way that we make the Lord our refuge is that we learn to cry out to him in our insecurity and in our need. We cry out to God. It's easier to hide these things even from the Lord. Why would we do that? But David reveals these things. And here's an irony. I think it's ironic. David's not afraid of armies. He's surrounded by them. He's saying, my heart's not going to be afraid. I'm going to be confident. But what we see here is that he has fear of rejection from God. Where does that come from? Look at verse 7. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I seek. I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. God, my Savior, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Notice that David's putting into practice this seeking God above all else, right where he's at, and he's in a pretty dark place. One commentator called it a place of being abandoned and alone. Like, okay, the reality of his situation is coming out now, right? Right? We're not sure if this is because of his own sinfulness. It feels like it. Like, he's just like, don't be angry with me, God, right? Why else would God be angry? So maybe it's his own sinfulness. Maybe it's this honest experience of he feels like God's just not there right now, that he feels abandoned even by God, and he's seeking him. And then he brings up his parents And we don't know, did his parents really forsake him? Or is he just feeling that everybody's abandoned him? And that's the worst thing that could happen is my own parents have abandoned me. But the beauty of his statement is that he's pouring out his heart and his fears and his insecurities and anxieties. And then he realizes the truth of God's character. And he says it this way but the Lord will receive me. The Lord won't reject me. And I love how the ESV states it. The ESV translation says, the Lord will take me in, just like an abandoned child. A year ago or so, I wept throughout an entire 45-minute documentary It was a special on YouTube, and it was about a ministry by a guy named Pastor Lee from South Korea called the Dropbox. There's a a picture of him, and he was a pastor in South Korea, and he lived in a community where a lot of babies were abandoned by um, mothers and fathers who couldn't take care of them. High percentage of them had a disability of some sort. So he and his wife had heard about this. This wasn't a new idea. And they decided, hey, let's put a drop box in our laundry room that faces the street. And then on that box, they just said, please don't throw your baby away. Put them here. And he put this verse from Psalm 27 on that box as well. The Lord will take me in. Hmm. As I watched that, at the time of that video, by the way, at the time of the, um, the recording of the documentary, I, I had seen the video about it. They had, he had saved over 650 babies. And he and his wife adopted 15 of them. I was blown away. But you know why? It's because I see the beauty of the Lord in adoption. And it's because when God tries to explain his love for us and the the apostles are trying to help us understand the gospel, they use adoption language. There is nothing about God that is more beautiful to me than to know him as a father who loves me and who will take me in. That's the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, is, or Ephesians 1 is a great place. I don't have time to go there, but it explains how God, because of his pleasure and will, adopted us through Christ Jesus, and that he planned to do it before the creation of the world, and that he did it through the blood of Jesus who was shed for us. Look it up, Ephesians 1 talks about that beauty of the Lord. In our greatest point of need, God takes us in. And I think the extent to which we experience and understand the love of God in our lives is the extent to which we can know and understand his role as a loving father in us, as his beloved child. That's who you are. That's what we sing, right? You're a good, good father. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. Here's a strong caution. When the day of trouble hits, we can turn out for outward. There are so many other things instead of that one thing right, that we can turn to in our insecurity, in our alone, when we feel alone and abandoned, when we just need that security, that sense of love. So many things. And those things can become addictions, and they come in all forms don't they and they destroy us when we turn to the one thing God redeems us he takes us in so if you're in that place where you feel that brokenness and maybe behind you there's this wake of wreckage there is nothing you could ever do that would cause the Lord not to take you in if you turn to him And the way I like to think of it is that we need to surrender ourselves into his drop box. He's got it there for us. His name is Jesus. And we need to surrender ourselves. And we do that by repentance, right? Turning away from those things, letting God, he's going to work on those things. But we need to turn toward God. We admit that we're a sinner and we believe Jesus Christ really does love us that much that he died on the cross to forgive us our sins and adopt us into his family as his own child so cry out to the Lord in your insecurity and need he will not turn you away he promises to take you in and once taken into the father this is the last point and it's quick is we just need to learn from him just like you learn from a parent right right and, and that to me is where David, that's where David ends. He says, Lord, in verse 11, teach me your way. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors, because of this day of trouble. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise against me, spouting malicious accusations. So David's naming his day of trouble, isn't he? And he's saying, God, teach me and lead me straight through it. That's what God does. You guys, this is the last beauty of God that I want to put before you. There is this beautiful invitation, and it's what God's doing in my heart right now. There's this beautiful invitation that Jesus offers to those who seek him. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, he's inviting you to learn from him. Look at this, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you experienced the gentle and humble heart of God for you? That is a beautiful thing and if God isn't that way to you then you need to learn from him because that's how he describes himself gentle and humble take my yoke is this picture of working alongside of us leading us through whatever it is that we need to accomplish he's right there we can learn as we live our lives There's a book by this name called Gentle and Lowly. There's a picture of it, and and the subtitle says it all. The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And I encourage you right now, reading that book is like when I read Intimate Moments with the Savior. Wow. awe. I encourage you, find those things that, that help you to see the beauty of the Lord. So in closing, I want to leave you with this assurance that David does. It's very simple. You will get through this day of trouble. Isn't it interesting that he calls it a day of trouble? I was talking to someone that says, that was a season of trouble. Those were years of trouble. But in light of eternity, it's, it's a day of trouble. And we just have to trust the Lord that day. And then we wake up tomorrow and we trust Him tomorrow. So look how David ends. He just says in verse 13, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. Now, is David talking to himself? Probably. Is he talking to us? Is God talking to us? Yes. And he's saying, you're going to get through this. You're going to see the goodness of God. That was what he wanted more than anything, right? I want to see the beauty of the Lord. He says, I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living, which means I'm going to get through this. And I want to point out something for those of us who are believers, especially when we're dealing with issues like cancer and maybe a loved one with cancer, things that are killers. God can restore us to health in this life praise him but but our hope transcends this life if we believe in jesus we have the promise of eternal life and you know what david did too what did he say in psalm 23 i will dwell where in the house of the lord forever i will dwell in the presence of god in the goodness and beauty of god forever And so whether God takes us out of the day of trouble here or whether he takes us home, we can be confident. And so we wait, and we're strong, and our heart takes courage as we wait for the Lord. So Trinity Church, what are you waiting for? What are those things in your life that you're just like, God, I just need to get through this? Or, I wish this situation would change, or I wish you would change this about me. Focus on making the Lord the stronghold of your life, and you'll get through it. Wait on the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I feel the weight of some of the days of trouble that some in this room and maybe online, outside, are facing. They're no small thing. But God, I thank you that you are the stronghold of our lives and that you teach us in the day of trouble how to trust you. You show us the beauty of who you are. And I pray, God, that you would do that in increasing measure. Help us to lean in, to lean in to you, to lean in to each other, and to truly bear one another's burdens as you call your church to do that. And God, as we look to you, God, I I pray that we would continue to be in awe and that praise would result from our trusting you day by day. Thank you that you are faithful, and that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand and join me as we respond to this promise of dwelling